On today's episode, we have a couple of Christmas movies that I affectionately refer to as the ones my sister likes. We have Love Actually from 2003 and The Holiday from 2006. everyone welcome to brandon at random reviews i am your host brandon griffiths thank you for stopping by i do appreciate it as i mentioned we've got some christmas movies well set at christmas movies that i want to discuss but i've got a couple of guests on here to discuss them with me starting with my sister michelle hess how are you doing michelle oh just perfect awesome and then i have my brother-in-law her husband dan hess how are you doing dan I'm here. You're here. All right. That's what I like to hear. So, you know, obviously we all have our little Christmas rituals, especially when it comes to movies. And it's just, you know, we've got ones that we watch every single year and it's just, you just don't, I don't know. I never have a year that I never watch Christmas movies. I always watch at least a few of them. What are some of the movies that you guys, I mean, other than these two, obviously that you guys like to to check out every year. Well, we, we disagree on watching these two because Dan, <clears throat> as you'll learn, does not love Love Actually. Um, I claim I haven't watched it in the last couple of years and he begs to differ immensely, but I do watch The Holiday every year. I mean, Michelle, it does seem like you would watch Love Actually every year. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> it seems like she would because she does. <laughs> I, do I have Because you don't love it, I haven't watched it every year. Other one, I think- of. Right. <laughs> anyway, go on. <laughs> uh, Home Alone, I think we watch every year. Home Alone oh, yeah. holds up. We watch that every year, definitely. You know what one, it's it's one that I have been adamantly trying not to watch every year is Christmas Vacation because I'm so fucking sick of that movie. Like, I, 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 I love it. It's hilarious, <laughs> but it's like, holy shit, I've had about enough of it, you know? So Yep, I know the feeling. I. I got there with uh, with a Christmas story several years ago. I just got tired oh, of it. And by see, several, I, I mean never, probably 20. Hmm. Yeah, in our I house never, growing up, Brandon and I really, we didn't watch that because my mm. mom didn't really like it. So we didn't watch that as often. It was Christmas vacation for us that we watched every year. And to be fair, I mean, even with our mom not liking it, when I finally like actually watched it, I'm I'm not a fan of a Christmas story. Like even... I mean, on a very basic level, like I can't even do like I do with Love Actually and just put it on in the background while I'm wrapping presents or something like I actively hate a Christmas story. It is <laughs> so fucking bad. Like, I, I don't know what it is, like the narrator, the whole thing. I just I don't like the I don't like the story at all. And it just annoys the shit out of me. Um, we watch? We've watched Elf the last couple of years. Yeah, Elf's um, pretty solid. I mean, it's it's one. one that I can see not doing every single year. Yeah, but yeah, it might drop out of rotation this year. Um, we've yeah. seen the last couple of years. I always watch Mickey's Christmas Carol, which is literally the reason I got Disney Plus was to be able to watch that. Obviously, the other another one I watch every year that I absolutely love is It's a Wonderful Life, which is another one of these movies. Like I really, that's what I'm really curious about is what do you guys think makes a Christmas movie? Because is it just being set at Christmas? That's enough. Cause it seems like it is to me. So I, I mean, 
It's it's tough to say set at Christmas because I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, that's how Die Hard is allegedly a Christmas movie, right? Is that it's, but I mean, it's like during a Christmas party, I suppose. But sometimes, I guess, if it just comes out at Christmas, I've been told, you know, movies like The Wizard of Oz or uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy are considered by some to be Christmas movies because of when they were released or when you see them on TV every year. Um, and then there's other Christmas movies, like one we watched a couple years ago when we started doing the the annual Let's Watch a Terrible Movie Together. I don't even remember what it was called. Christmas in California, maybe? Something like yeah. that? Oh, that was there the wasn't one. Even yeah. a, there wasn't even a reference to Christmas in like, the entire movie. But the title. But the title. Christmas other than the title. <laughs> right. I mean, they do say it makes like Big Bank to put Christmas, you know, make make a movie a Christmas movie of some sort, you know, but like, I guess what I'm curious is like, what is, you know, not a set at Christmas movie that's actually truly a Christmas movie, like a Christmas carol? I mean, but I mean, even that you could probably argue it's just around Christmas time. That story doesn't have to be at Christmas. The story itself doesn't have to be, but I mean, it is right. They go through Christmas right, past, right. Christmas present, Christmas future, all that stuff. So, I mean, it's pretty heavily weighted towards Christmas. But I mean, you know, it's it, it's got the word Christmas in there. But if you just call them the ghost of past, ghost of present, ghost of future, you know, like. It would, I think I you know. could argue that about any Christmas yeah, you could movie. Right. That's, well, that's you what I'm saying. That's why, it, you... that's why it re- results in so much debate between people about what is and is not a Christmas movie, I think. It's because. So you're so, talking more of like what themes does it need? Like, does it need family? Right. Does it need right? Does it? I mean, like, is this Home Alone is that? I mean, that's set at Christmas, but there's very little to do with Christmas in it. That's true. They could have just gone all on in vacation. red and green, though. So obviously, oh, there we go. That is true. That <laughs> is true. Yep, that's accurate. <laughs> of course. So yeah, I mean, those are those are some of them. Did you guys have any other ones that you could think of that are you know like standouts that you always watch? There's probably others that I'm not thinking of right now. But well, and it was like in 2020, I think we watched like 40 because it was because the pandemic it was and we, <laughs> you know, were at home all the time. So, uh, but yeah, there's only a handful, I think, that we actually watch every year. Right. I mean, I have, I don't know, I have like a, I think a list of like 40 of them that I, you know, I'll watch it, you know, a dozen or two of them that, you know, they're, they're the ones I always watch, but it's like, I, I also don't actively pay attention to them fully all the time so oh yeah you know it's a little different but and obviously i watch batman returns because that's mm. a christmas movie through and through and you know it is what it is yeah so all right well if you guys are ready i would love to start talking about love actually because i have a lot of shit to say about <laughs> love actually who doesn't <laughs> okay so love actually was released on november 14th 2003 Written and directed by Richard Curtis. He has written and directed Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, Bridget Jones's Diary, The Boat That Rocked, aka Pirate Radio, which is a solid one, and About Time, which was previously covered on this podcast. For the producers, we have a handful of producers, nobody that's really of any note. And then for the score, we have composer Craig Armstrong, who did Fever Pitch, Must Love Dogs, The Incredible Hulk, In Time, The Great Gatsby from 2013, and Snowden. And then for our cast, we have Hugh Grant, who plays David, the Prime Minister. 
And he was in Four Weddings and a Funeral, Sense and Sensibility, Nine Months, Mickey Blue Eyes, Notting Hill, and About a Boy, among others. Alan Rickman plays Harry, and he was in Die Hard as Hans Gruber. And he was in the Harry Potter movies as Severus Snape. Then we have Emma Thompson, who plays Karen. And she was in Junior, where Arnold Schwarzenegger becomes pregnant and... She is with him. I believe she's his significant other. She was in Stranger Than Fiction, Sense and Sensibility, and she was in the Harry Potter movies as Professor Trelawney. Then we have Kira Knightley, who I have noted here is hot, and she plays Juliet. She was in Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, Pirates of the Caribbean, Domino, and Atonement, which is a super depressing fucking movie. Laura Linney plays Sarah. Colin Firth plays Jamie. Liam Neeson plays Daniel, and he was in Batman Begins and Star Wars Episode One. Bill Nye plays Billy Mack, and Andrew Lincoln plays Mark, and he was in The Walking Dead, which I've never seen a full episode of. You're not missing much. Overrated. Oh, okay, I'm really after to hear season that. one. It uh, became really awful. falls apart. Okay, in my opinion. So then we have Martine McCutcheon, who I also have noted here is hot, and she plays Natalie. Martin Freeman plays John. Billy Bob Thornton plays the U.S. president. As you can see, there's quite a large cast here. I'll try and be quick. Alicia Cuthbert plays Carol Ann. Shannon Elizabeth plays Harriet. January Jones plays Jeannie. And Claudia Schiffer plays Carol. Casting notes. When casting the part of Sarah, writer and director Richard Curtis auditioned a great many British girls, but kept saying, I want someone like Laura Linney. The casting director eventually snapped and said, oh, for fuck's sake, get Laura Linney then. And Linney auditioned for the part and got it. The plot synopsis, this is a very high-level one because there's so many fucking plot threads in this movie. During the holiday season, we get a glimpse into the various love lives of several people from all different backgrounds. All right, are we ready for this fucking plot? (laughs) I mean... Okay, one thing I I have to know is that I've seen this movie 50 times. I only know half the characters. I, okay, whatever. But I only know half the characters' names. I don't know. A single yeah, I just name. refer to. I re, I refer to all of my notes are referring to actor names only. So that have, that'll be helpful if that's how you guys are going. <laughs> I have I refer, all my notes. It's nothing but actor names with a couple of exceptions. Uh, Jojen Reed is one exception. Uh, oh, Wisconsin yes. guy is another exception. Actually, I think those might be the only two. Uh, Everybody else is just their their real name. I noted. Uh, Bilbo Baggins as Martin Freeman because I can never remember his name. And then the the ones that I like actually call by their characters' names are Jamie, which is Colin Firth, Sarah, Laura Linney, and Natalie and David. Oh, that. speaking of Laura Linney, um, her her bow is Xerxes. <laughs> yes, yes, I was going to mention that too. I can't fucking believe it's actually that guy because he, you know, they make him out yeah. to be like this mammoth looking dude. Like in 10 that movie. foot tall, huge yeah. dude. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I got a lot of thoughts about this movie that I really fucking need so, to get out there. It's so, really so wearing me, on me. Let me start, though, with a general question Is this story actually about love, actually? <laughs> I would personally say no, not really. I mean, I agree. Maybe, and I maybe actually... a couple of the story, like, the, okay, the Hugh Grant and the 
um the the Colin Firth storylines maybe but they're they're also like super like, lusty like they're they're they mm-hmm. don't know each other they're not in love it's very- right i wrote down like i wrote down each of the main character storylines mm-hmm. and next to it i wrote yes or no whether i thought that it was actually about love Did and only about half of them Oh, Some God. of them I have yeses, but like in, in different ways. Like Bill Nye, I said yes because he slowly realizes that there's like a fraternal love with his manager that he keeps giving a hard time. Right. And I think the Alan Rickman, Emma Thompson story is about like their love kind of falling apart. But then there's other ones like Colin Firth, I think, is a guy on a rebound. <laughs> I don't think it's about and love he at is. all. <laughs> he's, and he's proposing to this fucking girl that... yeah. You know, it's like they don't even they haven't even spoken full sentences to each other at any mm -hmm. point leading up to the the proposal. Yeah, there's no way that marriage lasts more than like 30 days, right? Right, right. I'm with you there, Dan. I I absolutely understand what you're (laughs) The Laura Linney story, I'm not even sure what that's about other than a super fucking depressing uh, few scenes where you just like feel so bad for her. I don't know. There's like nothing redeeming about her story. It's so sad. And I love Laura Linney. (laughs) Right. And it's like, it's like you, you're, you're like, oh, okay. We've got, we've got a little something here. She's into this guy at work. Okay. All right. She's gonna, she's gonna go for Xerxes. You you know, that'd be cool. And then it's like, it fucking blows up. And then it's like, there's, there's no resolution to her story. It's basically just, yep. She's got to deal with this now. And she's not going to be able to be with, Carl or whatever his real name is, and I don't really understand it. Okay, so what was it else that you needed to get off your chest? I, I sorry, I interjected there. <laughs> so there are so many. Like, okay, I got to talk. I mean, I know I'm jumping ahead here. I was, you know, I was thinking we'd go through the plot a little more linearly, but you know, just the whole Andrew Lincoln <laughs> storyline. What in the actual fuck is this? Like, okay, Damn so it's about this every fucking time we watch it. Like, he that's this is yeah. this is why he does not like this movie, it, is it, the Andrew Lincoln really is. It's so creepy, and like, there's nothing charming about what he does, not at it's all creepy. And like, I feel bad for his best friend who has you know two lines in the whole movie who who thinks his best friend is his best friend, but in reality, he's like trying to steal his wife. <laughs> Right, exactly. It's it's terrible. It's, it's so not like, charming. It's also even creepier when you realize that Kira Knightley is eighteen in this movie. And I know you She's had a note 18? that she was that she was hot, but uh, I think her mouth looks really weird in this movie. It yeah, it does out. look a little odd. I'll give you like that. the way that she holds her face and like contorts it in every scene. It's just fucking weird. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah mean, she was very young in this this okay. movie too. I mean, but that's the thing. It's like okay, so I guess we can we can really. I mean, that's that's the one I wanted to talk about most. So it's like, you know, they go, they have this fucking wedding, Kira Knightley and whatever her husband's name is. I don't remember. Token black guy. Token black guy. Well, one of two, I think. And he, so they fucking set up this thing at this wedding where they, like Andrew Lincoln organizes to have a choir sing All You Need Is Love by the Beatles to them as they're like, closing out the ceremony and i hate everything that this scene chooses to be i hate so much of it like i watch them and it's like all of their reactions to the song starting are way too animated and then you know it's like they're singing and i hate the i you know i i don't i don't like 
the, the way they're singing and I don't like the, the little <laughs> fucking instrumentation that like pops up out of nowhere, like a fucking trumpet just pops out of the crowd and they're like, oh my goodness, how hilarious, you know? Do you, and want, it's like, do you want me to just go upstairs so you and Dan can just bitch about this movie for the next hour? Michelle, you've got to chime in. I love that part. Like, I don't, I, I understand. I agree with your part. Like they're acting with the reactions and they're, you know, over the top sort of stuff is annoying but like i thought it was a cool idea and I... it's a cool idea that's very poorly executed in my opinion like it's if i, I don't think it's I'll a ever good way probably... to open the movie though right like right because the, the whole thing is supposed to be about but you don't know how i think the, the thing is is like i remember watching it for the first time and thinking like this is really cool and Andrew Lincoln's such a good friend, not realizing what a creep he was, right? Okay, so we learned that later. And that, I think, is what's clouding both of your judgments about this wedding scene is that you know what a dickhead Andrew Lincoln becomes. See, mm, I, and- I, I, I will contest that because I remember the very first time I saw this movie and I had no idea what was coming around any corner with any of these people, especially creepy Andrew Lincoln. And- I watched this scene and I was like, good God, what the ever loving fuck is this? Like, what are we watching? Like, is this whole movie going to be this over the top and stupid? Because if it is, I'm not going to like it. Well, Michelle, didn't you say that you read something somewhere where Andrew Lincoln even said in real life that he thought this character was super creepy? Yeah. And doesn't yeah, un- no. didn't understand it. Yes. Yeah, that's in my trivia at the end. It's, <laughs> he's saying he wished it would have been rewritten, and he seen he said it felt really stalkerish and creepy, and yeah, all that I'm, fun stuff. I'm convinced that the uh, the guy who wrote and directed this movie didn't have an editor or edited himself because I feel like be. there's so many of these little things that a halfway decent editor would have been like, you know, this doesn't really make sense, and uh, you should tweak this. Do you right. think his story is about love? I put no. It's bullshit and creepy. It's no, it's fucking terrifying. Honestly, like it could, it could be one of those ones that they like resplice into like a trailer for a horror movie, you know, and just make it like you know like that, like all these eerie sounds and stuff. But I, I think, mean, like, uh, I think you just found the next. Uh, what what's that YouTube channel? The real trailers or whatever. Oh, honest trailers. Yeah, honest I trailers. That one. Yeah, somebody somebody should do an honest trailer it's of what you just described. A sequel to The Watcher that you know, new show that's out that everybody's talking about. <laughs> right. Oh, God. So, I mean, you know, going from, okay, so then we get, you know, because the the hard part about this story is that they, like, try and make these people connected in some way. And so we see Laura Linney asking Andrew Lincoln if he's, if he's in love with Kira Knightley. And... No, she's asking if he's uh, in love with the... The husband. The husband. His friend. His best friend. Wait, What? Yeah. yeah, that's says, what's happening. You, are yes. you in love with him? Yeah. She oh said, God. Just wanted, just See, wondered if you this is what I'm saying. Have you ever watched him? this goddamn movie? I've watched this movie through several times, and I never picked up on that being like, <laughs> where she was asking if she like. I assumed because it was because it makes more sense to me that she would be asking about Kira Knightley. So maybe you, I just like retroactively just, filled in the blanks when I think you were just out. seething at that part. Yeah. By then. Yeah, I really <laughs> was, but noticed. I mean. But like, so she, so nothing comes of that, obviously, because he's not in love with the guy, right? So it's like he's trying to conceal his love for her. In fact, there there aren't any gay relationships in this, are there? Well, if you don't count Bill Nye and his manager, 
I, I, this that guy. comes off as more fraternal or platonic to me. Like I, I, uh, I think, uh, I think I'm going to cancel this movie. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's not woke. <laughs> not hashtag woke. Wow. Oh my um, goodness. That's how I'm going to get out of watching it every year. <laughs> I'm going to so, complain oh that it's, uh, that it's not woke. Okay. So <laughs> yes, they're trying to link these people together, but it doesn't really matter for the most part. Um, no, not at all. And it's fine. The only one I think that's not connected at all is Bill Nye's story. And, but that the way that they do, they do that is that he's always on TV mm-hmm. right, in the background. Right. They're, they're constantly showing him. And so should we go through him. like just those few main stories and yeah. like tell well, the, well, so since you meant- can we get, can we get some closure on Andrew Lincoln first? Cause I really want to <laughs> get that. What's, what's the closure you need? Yeah, I think it's we terrible. all agree that so, it's awful. Okay. It's awful, but I just, okay. So she comes to his house and she wants to like, extend an olive branch to him because he's been really cold toward her and she wants to start anew. And no, she's coming to find the video. That's what but she's... No, but she says that to begin with. Like, she basically says to him, like, hey, you know, it's always kind of seemed like, you know, you haven't really liked me. And, you know, I'd like to change that. Like, she says that. I know that. Have you watched this movie, Michelle? Have you seen <laughs> this before? Um, so she says that to him. And, and so, like, he's trying to... Like, she wants to see the wedding video. And so... She, you know, she finds it and puts it on and it's all these, this super fucking creep show of yes. close-ups <laughs> of her. Super close-ups. And, and, you know, it's like, I gotta say that this is some professional-ass camera work that they were doing with this wedding camcorder because, I mean, it looks like like a lot of it is shot by a fucking movie camera, surprisingly enough. And, but I mean, like, she basically figures out through that way that he's infatuated with her. And then he goes to her, you know, I won't, I won't dwell too long, but like he goes to the house when her and her husband are home and pretends to be carolers by using like a boom box playing Silent Night. And he, he shows her these cue cards telling her how much he's in love with her. And it's like the way, the way she reacts to it, there, there would be like, such horror on, on, <laughs> on her face like it would be terrifying to her and then it's like she goes and what kisses him i think and like yeah she runs down the street and kisses him while her husband like, is watching tv inside and that's that's it for his story right i mean we don't get anything else really of any and substance the, and the tone is definitely one of like we should be smitten by what's happening Right, it's like horrified. romantic. It's so so it's horrifying. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. Okay, so anyway, we can we can move on from Andrew Lincoln. I just really needed to get that off my chest. For so, him. so let's let's bounce the other way and ask Michelle. So, what's one of the ones that is really good? Because I think even you agree that that one's creepy. Yes, I agree <laughs> that that one's creepy. Hugh Grant and Martine, whatever her last name is, uh, David and Natalie is my favorite story. I think. I would agree I mean, with that. I think that's. Uh, so I think their story is a good one. She is. Uh, he's the, the new prime minister, and she is working for him as the prime minister. He's starting to recognize that he's kind of got a crush on her, and there's something that happens when the U.S. president, played by Billy Bob Thornton, comes, and he, Billy Bob Thornton's character, hits on. Natalie and Hugh Grant recognizes like, hey, this is not good. Like I shouldn't be infatuated or, you know, have a crush on one of my employees. So he asks her to be moved to another department. And then eventually he gets a Christmas card from her, realizes that what he saw with her and the president was misunderstood. And so he goes to find her, which is probably one of the best scenes 
in the movie where he's knocking on every door yeah. and the little kids answer and they ask if they're killers and his driver starts singing in a very rich baritone and it's his yeah, that's that's surprises. Pretty cool. that's that is very quiet. funny. Yeah. I like and that then um, he finds her eventually they're on their way to the, the school play and kind of main ending of the movie in general. And I mean, not at the, the final scene, but is them kissing in the back of the stage of the, so that's a very, yeah, very quick synopsis the- of their story. But um, right. like, it's actually like they have feelings for each other that are growing over, you know, a period of time and they're not like committing themselves to lifelong, whatever. They just like each other and start quote unquote dating by the end of that period. I have that noted that, you know, the, in my trivia that there was, you know, like, Richard Curtis, when he was writing these stories, you know, he wrote the Hugh Grant story and the Colin Firth story as two separate stories to become movies. And then he ended up combining them and condensing them down to fit into this movie with like 35 other storylines going on in it. That's interesting because one of the things I had written down, I didn't know that, but one of the things that I had written down was, I think for, for as many little stories as there are in in this movie they should have completely cut out about four of them oh absolutely use that time to expand on ones that were good like the hugh grant one and the colin firth one which you know i don't dislike that one but i don't as i mentioned before i see that more of like he's on a rebound with this girl and there's not enough there to convince me that they're in love right and you know what i mean i gotta ask what is i mean this is gonna sound um inappropriate but is who who is she supposed to be is she like his cleaning lady or like what's she doing yeah yep. okay I, I just wanted to make sure but i mean it's like i don't yeah i really struggle with that one because it's like what's what is the reason that they like part ways and like she goes back home is it because he's gonna be going home or something and he doesn't need yeah, her anymore so like he's only there for a few weeks He's like okay. on a writer's retreat or something slash right. get yeah. out of the house because his girlfriend right. is cheating on him. Because that's what I love about Colin first is like they really fucking hammer it home. Like he keeps telling his wife how much he loves her and he just repeats himself over and over again. And it just it's like, oh, hey, I wonder what's going to happen with this. I wonder if maybe something bad's going to happen that, uh, <laughs> you well, know, established there's a lot of horror movie themes in this. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. I, I like the Colin Firth storyline. I, I think you're right in that it doesn't have enough time to really like solidify that. And I think it should have been, you know, they, they can't speak the same language. So they're, you know, the dialogue in the subtitles is hysterical because they're saying similar things to each other back and forth, which is funny. But I don't know how you could have affection for someone if you literally cannot communicate with them. Yeah. And then like, I feel like, you know, the end of the movie is him going back to Portugal where she's from, I think, and finding her to propose to her. And they've both learned the other's language a little bit, but I think it should have, shouldn't have been, will you marry me? It should have been like, Hey, I want to get to know you. Yeah. Let's go on a date. (laughs) Yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's go on a date. This does not need to be a proposal at all. Yeah. So yeah, that that one, yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen those two, storylines expanded at the uh expense of cutting uh wisconsin the, guy can be cut 100 percent. wisconsin like, guy could be cut even though it was kind of funny it it really it it could be could have been cut the i think whole the thing laura plays out one like, could have been I mean, cut 
even though it kills me because I love Laura Linney. I think yeah, Alan Rickman's I mean, could have been cut, which kills me because I love Alan Rickman. But to be fair, I think Alan Rickman his, and Laura Linney are wasted in this movie. They are. And I mean, yeah, Alan Rickman gets a horrible fucking storyline. And it's it's like him and Emma Thompson. It's like, you know, he's got this very promiscuous co-worker, like assistant that. Yes, is my like, note says my note refers to her as dirty whore. there you go and she's Uh, not even that good looking like i don't get it she's not like yeah she's not particularly great looking and she has that moment where she's talking to him and she like Mm -hmm. spreads her legs Mm -hmm. to him and it's like what are we doing here like what is going on in this fucking plot line because it's like you know, he's like entertaining the idea of cheating on Emma Thompson with this woman, this woman who is very open about how much she wants to fuck him. And it's like, what am I supposed to latch on to in this? Like, I mean, the the whole resolution to that whole storyline. There is like, no resolution. You know, I mean, yeah, there's nothing because it's like <clears throat> Emma, Emma Thompson is with him at the store and he goes and buys the other girl jewelry. And it's like what a fucking class act move, you know, to fucking buy jewelry for another woman while you're with your wife at the store. Anyway, not that it excuses anything anyway. Also very ugly jewelry. So there's that. Yeah, that's a problem. But it's like, you know, by the end of it, it's like, you know, Emma Thompson at one point thinks that the jewelry is for her and then she opens her gift and it's a CD for Joni Mitchell. And it's like, they basically just, you know, she confronts him about it after the play and she's like, what would you do if you were in my shoes? I don't know if it was just jewelry or jewelry and sex or jewelry in a relationship or whatever, but it's like, she's like, she's pissed about it. But then it's like the end of the, the end of that storyline is just that she's fine. She's no. I, so at the airport, so the final rep, like the movie mm-hmm. starts in the airport and ends in the airport. Yeah. Um, right. So he comes back from presumably a business trip and I think you're kind of led to believe that either like they haven't worked it out yet or they're separated or something because like, you know, he just kisses her on the cheek and like she doesn't respond well. So it's like they're kind of leading you to believe that like this hasn't been figured out. Like there's some issues with their marriage. Sequel coming right. 2024. Um, <laughs> but They've already done a sequel to this movie, by the way. have to find somebody to uh, replace Alan Rickman, though. Um, That's true. But no one can the- replace Alan Rickman. No. We're going to learn that he left. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the basic premise of, you know, like, I'm trying to think of, like, what's the next best story to really discuss? So, because- I, I like the Bill Nye one. I think uh, I think that might be the only one that they hit perfectly balanced of, like, yes, that you see what you need to see. It's just kind of a, a funny comic cutaway. Right. Every like a little sideshow. Yeah, it's always it's just- kind of in the background. Though I do have the question is competing for the number one Christmas hit each year a thing in the UK? Like, is that a thing? I don't know. Because this is the only time I've ever seen. I've never like, heard it talked about at all. Yeah, it, it keeps movie. coming up in the movie. And like interviewers are asking like, oh, it's between you and, you know, that boy band or whatever. And it's like this competition. And I like, is that a thing? I mean, it's I, not no here, idea. but I don't I don't think so. I, I don't, don't want I think it was just invented for this movie. But I, I mean, <laughs> Billy Mac also has some of the best lines. He um, does have a lot of good lines. So when he's talking about Blue, the other band that he's competing against and he's on the TV show and he writes on the poster of them, we've got little pricks and yeah. the hosts are like, hey, kids are watching. And he said, oh, OK, I've got a message for you. 
kids, don't buy drugs, become a pop star, and they'll give them to you for free. <laughs> I love the the deliberate travesty that is his cover of Love is All Around by the Trogs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just, did they just shoehorn the word Christmas and snow yeah. into the song? And, and he make makes it fun of it song. himself. Oh yeah, so he actively hates it. And it's, but I love that they like, they pick, pick Bill Nye who couldn't sing to save his life. And he doesn't even have like, aging rock star levels of vocal abilities and it makes it that much funnier when mm -hmm. he's like singing this terrible song it's fucking i mean like i will say his his is one of if not my favorite portion of this movie it's, yeah. it's very solid and the only other one i think we haven't really talked about well there's a couple of them but uh there's the jojen Joe, Joe reed one which i really like <laughs> wait yeah for, for those listeners who don't know jojen reed was a character in game of thrones and jojen reed the character is played by Thomas, do you remember his name, anybody? Reed. <laughs> That's the problem. It's... And he played little boy Sam, who is Liam Neeson's stepson, oh. who is in love with right. somebody. Was, so was like... Thomas, Thomas Brody Sangster is yeah. his name in real life. There you go. So Jojen Reed falls in love with uh, a girl in school. And in the span of about Three to four weeks, he not only learns how to play the drums, but somehow weasels his way into the uh, school play performance thing as like the drummer of the band, which I, I have to assume he like poisoned the original drummer so they would drop out and got the job like the night before. Right. Because he would have had like no time to practice with them because he was spending all that time learning in his bedroom how to play the drums. But despite that uh, little strangeness there, I found that story very uh very heartwarming oh did and, you and also it's strange that when he's feeling bad liam neeson makes him watch titanic and like why would you make a 10 year old watch titanic and why and then and then imitate like... it with him like imitate the fucking <laughs> yeah. front of the ship scene with him as a dad and stepson what i don't i don't yeah, get it well strange. and then the whole thing is like it's weird because liam neeson and his wife sam's mom has died at the beginning of the movie and it's the funeral and Liam Neeson thinks that Sam's really upset by his mom's death. But while he is, he is actually in love with this girl at school and that's what he's all bent out of shape about. Well, I yeah. mean, he, he doesn't, I got, I gotta say Liam Neeson's arc in this movie is just a laugh riot. I mean, from going to his wife's funeral to crying over his wife and being told by Emma Thompson that nobody's going to want to fuck him if he keeps acting like that. I mean, it's like, what what more can we ask for from a love story? But then he story? meets Claudia Schiffer at the end. And and honestly, like, that's the hardest thing for me is like, I know the name Claudia Schiffer, but as he kept referencing her, I was like, I don't even have a face for that name. Like, I can't even think of what she looks like. So I didn't well, even realize until after the fact that it was her yeah keep in mind this was 20 years ago and i think she was a pretty big deal still at the time well and as, i yeah. think it was also like she was everything. a huge model in yeah. the 80s and 90s probably yeah. at a time when you were not really right, thinking about right. supermodels right right yeah that's it was fair. definitely a, a, a liam neeson's demographic reference i think yeah yeah most definitely. Martin Freeman, uh, oh, who God. I call Bilbo Baggins, and uh, like they're doing the stand-ins for, for porn, porn shots. <laughs> and Which, uh, this, are you okay? What it's it's weird. What is this? I mean, like there is. I don't believe, and I I don't know for <laughs> sure. I don't believe that any porno in the no. history of pornos has had stand-ins 
or had no. this high of a budget ever. Like I've seen Boogie Nights. I know how it was in the seventies. Like, come on. Like I don't well, fucking get I, it. I think this would have been better as like a Saturday Night Live sketch or something. Right? Yes. Like, cause it's just such an absurd premise. Well, and then apparently like when they show this on TV and stuff, they just get rid of that storyline yeah. completely, which makes sense. But yeah. I mean, it's and kind it of cute, lift. right? Like, and it's, you know, it just, it's, it's the- one of the very small storylines that comes in and it's just a few seconds. And then like they, you know, start to like each other and go out on well, a date. The best part though, is that they need to get all, you know, they're doing it so that they can get all the lighting just right. But apparently they have to be making all the motions at the same time as well. <laughs> right. <And> be naked. <laughs> right. Be naked yeah. to get the, the lighting perfect on the nipples and everything and then be doing the motions. And, and like, I mean, I will admit so it is, it's, it's a little funny, like the way that they're, you know, they're doing, you know, whatever sex acts that they're supposed to be, you know, pantomiming or whatever you want to say. And like, they're like, it's funny that they're talking and they're like doing like regular, like water cooler talk, like, Oh, you know, traffic was gridlocked, blah, blah, blah. You know, like they're just talking about it and nobody really, you know, it's like, it's not really, uh, it's normal for them to just be, you know, him grabbing her boobs and you know, whatever. So it's like, I, I found it pretty funny. Yeah, it was a little bit of comic relief to some of the more serious. Yeah, every time you see Laura Linney uh, and you want to kill yourself, they've got to cut to either Bill Nye or Martin Freeman to make you laugh again. So let's talk a little bit about Laura Linney then. So you find out she's in love with Carl, one of her office mates, AKA has been Xerxes. <laughs> has been Correct. since she started. Yes, and Dan says that every goddamn time we watch this movie, I've never seen 300 or I don't remember it, Ooh, so you, I wouldn't that know that. That is not a Michelle movie at all. Yeah, I don't that's know. What I figured. <laughs> so anyway, she you find out then she has a brother who has some issues and calls her all the time and stuff, which I find really interesting that her brother would be allowed to call her all the time. But, you know, whatever. She finally goes to hook up with Carl and her brother calls and she says, no, I'm not busy. And she, you know, ends up leaving to go take care of her brother rather than, you know, start this relationship with Carl. And then it kind of ends with like them, Carl and Laurel and saying goodnight to each other later on. And you know that like nothing's going to happen with them but right. yeah so this is a super sad one but it's yeah. more about familial love than it is about well I mean, she loves carl but like she has to balance well she's got a crush on carl yeah and i, I mean like call it love actually to your <laughs> you were just waiting to fucking drop that line you <laughs> son of a bitch all right so the second time i've said it <laughs> probably but it it was the first time was a pass you got a free pass anyway so like yeah the whole thing with the brother calling her like he would be able to call her in that psych ward i think but he would not be able to call her that late like they would not let her call that late mm, yeah so i mean like it's it's kind of i don't know i mean the, that but that whole thing it's like that entire arc has nothing like there's there's nothing in it for me. Like I, I'm like, what am I? What am I watching this? Why is this in a movie? Yeah. You know, I don't think it fits. No, but I think it does because I think it's about love, actually, and different Between types of her love. And her brother and that, like, she's trying to balance. I don't know if you remember, but you know, my brother was in the hospital for a while, and you know, I was gone for a month or more, and that was hard on you, Dan, mm-hmm. and like our relationship and stuff like that. Like, I feel like that mm-hmm. with this. That like, 
you know, I have, you have this romantic relationship and you have this family relationship and you're trying to balance both. For her, she learned she can't, right? Like Mm, she's got so much invested in the brother. Whereas, you know, Brandon with you, you got better. You got out of the hospital, got, you know, back on your feet and all of that sort of stuff. And Dan got over it. Did you start calling him darling? No, I did not call him (laughs) dear or darling. My darling. So very weird. (laughs) It's very unusual. But also, Brandon didn't ask if we could get the Pope on the phone at two o'clock in the morning. So right. that would have been pretty funny, though, if he did. Call. Yeah. <laughs> Can we call the Pope? That, that would have been. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if I would have asked for the Pope at certain points based on what I'm being told I, I was saying while I was in the hospital. But yeah, I mean, the one thing I do want to make mention of, you know, I know we've we basically talked about all the major storylines and the the one thing I do like is the actual and I know it's just cuz I'm a sucker for the song, but it's uh, the the play where they actually do mm-hmm. the performance oh, yeah. where you know, she sings All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey and she's a really fucking good singer and Yeah, I like I even looked up to see like did anything happen with that that girl? Like did she become a, you know, a performer or anything. I don't, I feel and I like think that, she's just like a nowhere, voice actress but, yeah. on like animated yeah. shows and yeah, stuff. She is but, like a really good singer in that. Yeah. Yeah. And, like I 10 mean, years old. Yeah. And, jo- and Jojen Reed looks like an infant sitting on those yes. fucking drums. Like oh, it's this is the other ridiculous. thing is Jojen Reed and Kira Knightley are only five years different in age in this movie oh in real life. Yeah. And so that's why the Andrew Lincoln, huh. Kira Knightley thing is even creepier because Jojen Reed's 13 and Kira Knightley is 18 and it's freaking weird. Also, while we're talking about that performance, Jojen Reed gets the award for the best, uh, the best look in the whole movie. When she, (laughs) she points at him and says, all I want for Christmas is you. And he's like happy. And then she turns to the audience and says, and you, and you, and you, (laughs) that like scowl on his face for a split second is priceless. Yes. Did you know that he was actually, you said, oh, wait, oh yeah, he was 13 when this movie, yeah, okay. So I had it written down that I estimated he was 47 years old based on what I've always heard about him. <laughs> so do we have a whole lot more to say about that? I mean, we we pretty much beat that one to death. I think I think we're we're good. We're we're pretty far into recording anyway. So I mean, my only you know my praise for the movie would be Martine McCutcheon and Bill Nye. I like both of their stories a lot. And then what I don't like about the story the movie is that there are too many shitty stories and not enough good ones to yes, hold the I entire. Agree. Movie. I agree. The balance was lost. What's what's the <laughs> counterpoint, Michelle? I like it. <laughs> okay, here you go. I like the balance, so there. Okay, so I got a little bit of trivia. Curtis's original concept for the film included 14 different scenarios or stories, but four of them were cut with two of them having been (coughs) filmed. Then in 2017, Richard Curtis wrote a script for Red Nose Day, which reunited a dozen characters and picked up their storylines 14 years later. Filming began in February of 2017, and the short film was broadcast on BBC One on March 24th, 2017. Apparently, they had to put Dame Emma Thompson into a fat suit to make her appear heavier because she is actually very thin, which is... And she did not look fat. No, she really didn't. But it's like, I don't, it's not like they did anything to her. Yeah, I don't, my God. I mean, like her, I guess her face (laughs) is really thin through. So it's like, 
if you're not paying attention to her body, then, but it's like how much of a fat suit? Yeah, for sure. But so that I, I will read that, the portion that about Andrew Lincoln, Andrew Lincoln was initially unsure about his character as he thought the scene with handwritten signs was borderline stalker territory. He has also said that his character's behavior is creepy and inappropriate. And he wished the writers would have rewritten him as more reasonable and normal with his feelings. Yeah. yeah. Borderline is uh, being kind. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's really generous. There's nothing borderline about it. Base, okay, so moving on to info and ratings for this one. Runtime, 136 minutes. Budget, $40 million. Opening weekend, $6.9 million. Worldwide gross, $245.2 million. IMDb rating, 7.6, which is shocking. And Rotten Tomato critic score, 64%. Rotten Tomato audience score, 72% personal rating what do you guys think what what's your rating dan i go two and a half stars because the good parts are good but the bad parts for me really bring it down okay how about you michelle i'm at like a four out of five okay i i would give it a firm two out of five stars and i will go no higher (laughs) okay so all right what's next moving on to the holiday released on december 8th 2006 written and directed by nancy myers and she wrote or directed private benjamin father of the bride part one and two the steve martin ones the parent trap the Lindsay lohan one from 1998 what Women Want, Something's Gotta Give, and It's Complicated. For the producers, we had Nancy Myers and Bruce A. Block. For the score, we had composer Hans Zimmer, who is a powerhouse composer. I was really shocked to see that he actually did the score for this. He worked on the Dark Knight trilogy, Rain Man, Twister, Days of Thunder, Backdraft, A League of Their Own, True Romance, The Lion King from 1994, The Rock, and Gladiator. But I mean, like, it is about composing. It is. I mean, it would only make sense that it had, like, a really good composer. So, I mean, and then we got, for the cast, we have Kate Winslet, who plays Iris Simpkins. She was in Sense and Sensibility, Titanic, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is a personal favorite of mine. You should absolutely check it out if you get a chance. And she was in Revolutionary Road with, it was a reunion with Leonardo DiCaprio, and I've never seen it, and don't know if it is worth checking out. Cameron Diaz plays Amanda Woods, and she was in The Mask, My Best Friend's Wedding, There's Something About Mary, Being John Malkovich, Charlie's Angels, and the Shrek movies as Princess Fiona. Jude Law plays Graham Simpkins. He was in Gattaca, The Talented Mr. Ripley, Road to Perdition, the Sherlock Holmes movies, the Grand Budapest Hotel, and Harry Potter, the Fantastic Beast movies, and I never could get into those ones. And Jack Black plays Miles Dumont, and we know him from High Fidelity, previously covered on this podcast, discussed with Dan. He was in Shallow Hal, School of Rock, Envy, Bernie, and the new Jumanji movies. Rufus Sewell plays Jasper, and he was in A Knight's Tale, Dark City, and The Illusionist. The only casting note I really have is that this film was written specifically with Cameron Diaz, Kate Winslet, Jude Law, and Jack Black in mind. And for the plot synopsis, two strangers, one in the US and one in the UK, are fed up with their respective love lives and arrange to trade houses with each other for a brief period during the Christmas season to get away. 
all right, guys. I mean, what do we got for this movie? I mean, are, are, are we going to how are we going to tackle this, you think? So I will start by saying uh, I believe Cameron Diaz is a legitimately terrible actor. <laughs> really? I, I agree. And we talk about this every time we watch this movie She's is so that bad. this is this is the movie that she does okay in that I can handle. But most See, Cameron Diaz movies, I can't watch her in because I, it I find me her crazy. borderline unwatchable in this movie. She, I mean, I'll admit she is definitely bad in a lot of stuff. I, I, yeah, I guess I wasn't noticing it coming through quite so bad in this one, like Michelle was saying, but yeah, I mean, but that, that, uh, observation aside compared to the last movie, I mean, similarity, you've got sort of a, you know, two, you know, more than one story going on. Uh, mm-hmm. you've got two different stories happening in parallel, but unlike the other one, they didn't also cram 10 more in there. It's just, it's really the two stories, right? Which I find, uh, it's a lot more. I, I find it's, yeah. So it, it, it allows both of them to develop and breathe. They are both of them, uh, as your synopsis stated, you know, they're, they're kind of running away for similar reasons. Cause they're, you know, fed up with their love lives and whatever, and, and trying to get away. But other than that, it's actually kind of two opposite stories, right? The Kate Winslet character, she gets to to California and and meets a bunch of friends and make, you know, meet, develops new relationships and kind of lets go. Whereas Cameron Diaz's character does the opposite. She meets like one person and only one person and becomes really clingy and like kind of totally falls down a, a, a well of, you know, falls in love with this guy like right i mean almost right off the bat right oh yeah um, absolutely it's jude law you would too <laughs> yeah i mean that's true i mean that, i mean that's I mean, the only well jack you're saying jack black has to grow on you yes <laughs> <laughs> so let me let me pose this question who would you have recast in cameron diaz's role as amanda woods Literally anyone else. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, um, maybe, what about Winona Jack Black's Ryder, girlfriend? Michelle? Would you have gone with Winona Ryder? <laughs> <laughs> all right, touche. Yeah. You know what's funny is, I, this is a neat little tidbit, but in all the episodes I've recorded, she is the one that was most considered for parts and then did not get the part. Like, <laughs> she, I think there's a reason frequently, for that. Yeah, there's it's definitely. like they met her and they were like, Ugh. Ugh. Um <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think like Cameron Diaz has the look and I don't think she does horribly in this movie, like I said. So I'd have to think about that a little bit. But I think the other characters, Jack Black, Jude Law, Kate Winslet are perfectly cast. I mean, obviously, if it was written for them, too, then that, you know, has a big makes a big difference. But um, Jennifer Aniston, that's my answer. Mm, um, I don't know if I'm if I'm a fan of that. I, I mean, I think outside of played, Friends, uh, I haven't really been. I think she could have played with a her. lot. L.A. Uh, There's whatever. Anyway, so this let me just get into a little bit of the the background. So Iris, played by Kate Winslet, has been in love with this guy that she works with for years. They dated, but then they broke up because he was cheating on her with another coworker. At the beginning of the movie, you find out that they're still talking all the time, emailing, talking on the phone, even though he's with this other woman. And then uh, you learn that he's engaged to this other woman. And Iris, Kate Winslow's character, kind of falls apart. And she's like, you know, I got to do something different. On the other side, Cameron Diaz is dating Edward Burns. And, you know, she makes trailers for movies. And the 
beginning of the movie, she's throwing Ed Burns out because she thinks he's been cheating on her. And you learn that he was in fact cheating on her, but she's also, you know, married to her work and they don't have a good relationship and whatever. And so she's trying to figure out what to do. And they find Iris and Amanda find each other online and decide to swap houses. Right. And and I do want to I want to have a little go back for Iris with the whole finding out Jasper was engaged. If there's any way possible that her boss knew that she had been with Jasper or had feelings for him and then made it a point of like making her the center of attention to announce the engagement in front of the entire office party. I, it, it would just blow my fucking mind. Like it, it would be like the worst fucking thing you could possibly do to somebody. But you also, know what I mean? like they've been broken up for years at this point. Yeah, I think and- it, it kind of shows how you know this is like a relationship in her head only, right? With, yeah, with Jasper true. leading her along, and right? she's also the person that writes all the wedding announcements, and that's why he calls on her. Is he's like, oh, I've got an announcement for you. Oh uh, yeah, a, okay, a that scoop, makes sense. You know, whatever. That's that's kind of how they get into that, and why they call out her out specifically. Dan and I both had notes about. Because <clears throat> Iris leaves her job, presumably in London, at a newspaper where she, you know, writes these wedding announcements. <clears throat> it's definitely in London because you see her walking past Parliament as oh, soon as she leaves and then, the Christmas party. Um, you know, she's super upset that Jasper, her ex, is engaged, and she's walking gets on the train, gets home, walks to her house. And Dan's question on here is, how long is the walk from the train station to her snow globe house? And I looked it up and I said, commutes home. It's 1.5 hours by train from London to Surrey. And then she presumably walks one and a half miles through a cow pasture and down rain. Right. Right. And and like, it's only like 40 miles. Yeah. It's only 40 (laughs) miles outside of town, but. I, I looked up like the train times, like if she was taking yeah. the train, that's not including the walking. So yeah, she's got a hell of a commute to live out in the middle of the country like that and work in London. And this is pre working from home, uh, <laughs> remote work availability. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's some good homework, Michelle. I'm really appreciate so you. Uh, we, you know uh, yeah, yeah. I had to look that up for my own awareness. So is the best way to do this here then to, uh, to stick with the Kate Winslet story and then come back to the Cameron Diaz story? That's what I was going to do. Yeah, we can do that. So so we should probably introduce uh, Miles, Jack Black's character, who is, uh, he's a film composer, and he is um, actually a friend of, I think it's his name's Ethan, Amanda's ex. He works with him. And so, you know, Miles runs into Iris when he comes to pick up some stuff for Ethan. And he's basically just, you know, he's got this girlfriend and she's played by Shannon Sossaman. And I mean, I recognize her. She used to be in so many movies in the early aughts and the late nineties. Like she was a leading lady type. Like she was mm. big time. Like, I mean, yeah, she, she was, was in, in a bunch of stuff. She was in a bunch of stuff. Like she wasn't necessarily always the lead, but like she was in a few movies where she was like, she the was lead in a few actress. Mu- yeah. Yeah. Like I, what was it? 40 days, 40 nights. I think she right. was in that. She was in a night's tale, like rules of attraction. And she was in, I mean, she was in a, yeah, bunch but it was stuff, a very I mean, short, lived sort of thing but um yeah yeah i mean like I, when i saw this movie the first time like i recognized her from all of those right. those other movies and then also iris befriends a neighbor of amanda's his name is arthur abbott he she learns is an old 
film writer Hollywood writer from yeah. Holly, Hollywood. From like the golden age. Yeah, from yeah. like the golden age. He's worked in Hollywood for, you know, 60, 70 years at this point. And, you know, he gives her all these old movies to watch and all this sort of stuff. She holds a Hanukkah party with him and his friends that Jack Black ends up, you know, inadvertently crashing and they get to know him a little bit better. And the... I don't know, like some organization wants to do an evening with Arthur Abbott and he really doesn't want to do it because he doesn't think anybody's going to show up. Nobody's going to remember him. He didn't have that big of an impact. He's walking with a walker and doesn't want to have to walk out on a walker on stage. So Kate Winslet helps to start to get him walking on his own and goes and gets him a new suit. And all while this is happening, she's watching all of these movies and she and Jack Black are, you know, becoming better friends. And I, I do ahead. love the the whole, um, like the whole thing with Arthur and, and Miles as well, I suppose. Like it's all the Hollywood talk. Obviously I love the Hollywood right, talk, right. you know? So it's like, <laughs> I love when he's talking about that he knows Archibald Leach and, you know, He's known to some as Cary Grant, but I like to call him Archibald Leach because it's his real name and it's a ridiculous name and it's such an attractive name for him being such a classically handsome man. But anyway, like they they talk about all these things and like, you know, he even, you know, Iris finds out that he, you know, for instance, added the kid to here's looking at you kid from Casablanca. And it's like, it's all this really cool stuff. And it like, as I watch it every year that I I've seen it, I've, I've wanted to dive more into the movies that he's suggesting her to check out. And I just want to, you know, we talk about that actually, uh, how every time we watch this movie, it makes us want to go back and watch all those old black and white old timey movies and then we forget about it until the next time we watch this movie (laughs) and then we're like we should really watch some of those a little tidbit that he he asks arthur asks iris where she's from in england and she says oh surrey and he says cary grant was from surrey and he told me cary grant wasn't from surrey but um (sighs) it worked it worked for the that we know of he wasn't from surrey uh maybe arthur knew or yeah, Wikipedia article said he wasn't. So I'm okay. taking that at face value. Wow. Okay. But yeah, pretty heartbreaking. In, in general, I just, I really like that Kate Winslet story, the way it kind of unfolds. And she, you know, she gets to the house and she's all excited and she slowly meets all these people. And by the way, when she's running around the house, freaking out, you notice the only room she does a double take in is the gym. She's clearly going to ignore. Right. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. She's just so happy. Like, despite being like a super depressed person, yeah. like she like is making the most of. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The trip. And the friendship with Arthur is really uplifting and charming. She's learning about all kinds of stuff, and then you know, obviously, you see her her uh, develop a friendship with Jack Black, who gets his heart broken, and they develop a bond, which is like. One of the notes I made, I think I, I said the same exact thing uh, when we were talking about high fidelity before. But when mm-hmm. Jack Black goes like full Jack Black, it's like the yeah. best. I love oh, the absolutely. Jack Black character. And that's and what I, I love know is that character, the same character every time. But I love right. It's always yeah. It's just Jack Black. I mean, it's right. the Jack Black character. But yeah, it's uh like I love the fucking scene in Blockbuster where he's imitating yes. the film scores and he goes to the graduate and you see Dustin Hoffman, who is the star of the graduate that just makes a little cameo appearance and says he can't go anywhere basically because, you know, Jack Black's fucking talking about his movie <laughs> all the time. So it's, I mean, I fucking love that. I just, yeah. I, well, I, I just, 
And even to your your earlier point about you know really enjoying the uh, the Hollywood talk, Jack Black's yeah. character is kind of doing the same thing, just like yeah. through scores and talking about you know how a score can transform a movie, or you know when he talks about Jaws and those two notes like creates an entire villain, you know. Um, and, right. and Dan's favorite scene is when uh, yes. Jack Black is writing the tune for Arthur to use to come out on stage when he's getting his <laughs> award. And I'll let you talk. When, he, uh, when they're doing the, the doodly-doos and whatever, and they both yeah. say fruitily. And he said, yeah. we both said fruitily. Like, I can't tell if that was written or ad-libbed, right. but- it's perfectly delivered. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like either the chemistry way, between them is great. Natural. Yeah. It yeah. feels natural. Yeah. And, and that's what Dan said. He's like, wait, the holiday, is that the fruitily do movie? Like that's, <laughs> 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 and then I like too, that like they form a friendship, Jack and Iris are, does it know his name is miles and Iris, Jack Black and uh, Kate Winslet. They form a friendship and you can, but you can see how like, they're like yeah. starting to like each other, but it's not yeah. this like over the top. It really feels sort of genuine, thing. even though he's like alarmingly charming at times. Well, like no human is quite that charming. I think it's. But I mean, it's contrasted it. so yeah. heavily by yeah. the Cameron yeah. Diaz and Jude Law thing. You know, where it's like they're all over each other, all like out of nowhere, and it's like you, you right. just all so, of a sudden dive back into this. So, so that's I think that's a good turning point to to talk the Cameron Diaz story where. You know, as as I said earlier, it's kind of the exact opposite of Kate Winslet's, where she just kind of dives right in, falls in love, whatever. But like, as much as I like another contrast, as much as I like the Kate Winslet Jack Black story, I'm not a big fan of the Cameron Diaz story. Like, no. from it's almost like the two halves of the movie were directed by different people because, like, even the little things, like when she's on the airplane and there's this two foot tall stack of hardcover books next to her that she's ignoring. Like I know it's a long flight, but it's not that long. And who brings that many books in their well, carry on She has to said, stack next to her? Well, yes, but she had said, I want to read a book. Like I want to have a vacation. I haven't had right. a vacation in years. But even so to bring literally like 15 giant hardcover books. Um, right. Like you couldn't find a fucking library in Surrey or something. Well, or or just bring more like one or two. And then <laughs> right? even put the rest. I think what and you're saying is like, your yeah, put the rest in your check bag versus oh, the, oh, yeah. taking them on the plane. Just, by, the, by the way, I, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, the short appearance by Catherine Hahn and uh, Jim from The Office, who every John time Kuczynski, I watch it. Oh, yeah. I always forget that they're in the movie until I see him. Yeah. I'm like, hey, it's Catherine Hahn like, and Jim. <laughs> I mean, he he was already on The Office by this point, but she was, I don't know what I would have <clears throat> seen her in other than this, you know, up to this point. I think she might have been in a couple of really, like, small roles by this point. Yeah. Like, in, like, bigger movies that you would have recognized. To be she fair, in- I hadn't seen, I, I didn't see this until probably 10 years after it came out. So by that time, yeah. I definitely recognized her. Well, she was definitely in Anchorman, so that was in, like, 2003. Mm-hmm. So, oh, um, there you go. Yeah. Um, so kind of the synopsis for Cameron Diaz's side of the story is she goes to England. She's staying in Iris's house. The first night she's there after she's, you can tell she's like getting bored already because she's by herself. She doesn't know anybody and she's not taking or making the effort to go meet anyone. Jude Law, who you find out is Iris's brother, uh, knocks on the door late at night because he's been drinking in the pub in town and his sister will put him up if he's had too much to drink. And and of course, I, I can't, you know, 
gloss past how relatable that that scene is where you know i know you've been i'm sure you've been there brandon where you know you were you're down at preston's or, or or brickhaven drinking and you you stumbled home to just crash on your sister's couch but she wasn't home instead it was cameron diaz and right. uh, and and she uh she she kindly asked you to make out with her and then from there she she's kind of sheepish but very kindly asked you if you'll be so you know, generous as to bang her and then says, you know, oh, but I got to warn you, I'm not so good at it. So can you teach me how he, 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 I mean, it's just, I mean, it's so relatable who hasn't been there. If I, if I could tell you this, if I only had a nickel for every time (laughs) that that had happened to me, I'd have a shitload of nickels. (laughs) I mean, I I I just, I don't think the fact that them having sex, like the first time they meet each other is probably not as crazy but it should have been what they (laughs) should have done is like they ran into each other at the pub in town and like it more organically happened rather than her being at the house and him showing up at the door and politely asking to have sex like it's just so bizarre (laughs) um but okay so then they're kind of forming a relationship but you can definitely tell it's more of a relationship romantic relationship sort of thing Versus like the friendships that Iris is forming on the other side of the world. They keep talking about how like they can't do this because it's too complicated, but then they do it anyway. And then Cameron Diaz finds out that Jude Law is a widower and he has two little girls. Just so you know, don't think Cameron of Cameron Diaz's character in this movie as a very kid-loving sort of no. thing. Like I think she would be really awkward with children. Is kind of conveyed on screen. Like, she's a little awkward, but not as awkward as she actually would be, I feel like. Right. Like, they instantly love her, and she seems to, like, do really well with them. And I think she would have... I think, based on how they've characterized her in the movie that far, she would actually be kind of bitchy and pissed about it. Like, she wouldn't try to make an effort. Right. But... Neither here right, nor there. Yeah. Especially given that he hasn't told her about the kids and all that stuff. So it's yeah. like, yeah, she, she's going to be a little more uh, testy about it, I guess. I will say, though, Go that though, uh, not to be completely negative on the uh, Cameron Diaz story, the two little girls that play Jude oh, Law's yeah. kids oh, are yeah. absolutely adorable and have some of the yeah. best lines of that. They're very sweet. When, yes. Yeah. Like when the, they want her to, to see their tent fort in their bedroom and she's like, oh, no, I got to go. And she says, why? Do you not like tents? <laughs> right. And she just gives her the saddest adorable. look. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then the one girl says, you can spend the night. We can push our beds together. Right. Um, right. And then they say, we never have grownups here who are girls. I really like it, Um, (laughs) which is actually not true because they have an aunt that lives like three miles away. (laughs) So they definitely have grownups who are girls. But so then like this, this whole thing is they, they get to know each other. They spend time together and they're all broken up about it and about Cameron Diaz having to go back home. And then her whole thing is too, that she can't cry. Her parents divorced when she was 15 and she can't cry. And one thing I wanted to know is that I really have a hard time crying and I don't know why, except when Brandon made me watch about time and I sobbed uncontrollably <laughs> hours. It was so bad. I had to uh, call a couple of our local friends and, uh, Asked that they go with us to a winery or something because Michelle was losing it. <laughs> and then just recently, this is this is really ridiculous. I don't know what was going on, but I sobbed uncontrollably a couple of weeks ago watching Clerks 3. Wow. <laughs> Haven't shed a tear for deaths or like 
you know, major issues in my own life. But apparently Clerks 3 made me cry. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like I attend the Jude Law of of crying, the Jude Law School of crying. Like he cries for everything. Like I feel like I, I, there are certain movies that I will watch that I just know will make me cry. And it's like, I, I fucking fight back the tears aggressively. <laughs> and I'm breathing like, breathing from I, deep in the yeah, diaphragm. <laughs> right. and, and it's like, it's this very labored breathing, like really tight breaths. And it's yeah. like, Oh God, it's fucking happening. God damn it. Anyway. So there's some comedian. I don't remember who it was. He had a bit recently about, you know, being a guy and watching a movie like that. And it catches you. And all of a sudden you go, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I was like, yeah, I've been there. Uh, It really does happen. Okay. So I can kind of relate to, to that, but she, as she's driving away, she realizes she is in love with Jude Law. She starts crying. She stops the car and runs back to... For, for the second time, she's had to run across a cow pasture in stilettos that apparently she right. wears to the airport. One, which the, the first time the driver didn't drop her off at the house, which I'd have been like, I'm paying you, asshole. You right. drop right. me off where I'm telling you to. The second time, why would she think it'd be faster to run in the snow, in stilettos, <laughs> across a cow pasture back when the guy could have just which turned around. Can I ask a strange question? Because, you know, I just, I'm a guy and I don't understand. Why are we, uh, as a people, wearing heels ever? Like, I, I can't what? answer that. I was raised by a very butch lesbian, Brandon. <laughs> oh. Um, so I don't oh, wear heels. Okay. I don't know. I don't get it either. It's very strange. Then they like get back together. And she's like, oh, I never, why did we ever think I was going to leave before New Year's Eve? That's so silly. And then like, you see Miles has come back with Iris, which is great. Like he said, oh, I don't have a date for New Year's. I can come back to By the way, his you. reaction to her except uh, saying yes to a date is perfect. <laughs> he like silently and slowly fist pumps. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and then like the last scene is all of them, all four of the main characters and the two little girls all dancing around each other. One thing I will say is like, there's no wrap up, right? Like, Cameron Not Diaz really, comes no. back and says, "Comes back and says, oh, we, I'm staying till New Year's Eve.' But you don't know what's going to happen because their whole thing is like his his life is in England, her life is in LA. They wouldn't be able to really make it could work. Could she not work remotely? I though, think doing she, they, that. she owns the fucking business. Right. She could do whatever she wants. She could also sell that house and live in that little tiny fairy tale town forever. Um, right. Well, I, apparently the town, the houses in that town are like a couple million dollars. Because they are Jesus. so crazy cute and whatever. Okay. So um, <laughs> the other thing, I, random thing I was going to mention is Graham, Jude Law's character, is talking about like parenting and doing stuff. And he's like, I have a cow in the backyard. As we're watching this movie, Dan's like, should we have a cow in the backyard? <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my God. No, we're not getting a cow. No, that's not a good idea. I don't think so. And the, and the only other uh, note that I'll make, uh, speaking of the endings, are when... Uh, when Arthur enters the auditorium, mm-hmm. I think that uh, that scene was perfectly executed. That's, oh, yeah. That's actually the mo- the one moment in the whole movie that chokes me up is when he opens the door and everybody's there for him and, and he gets all choked up walking he, down the, the thing. Yeah. I, uh, I think they, they nailed that scene. Then he, he walks up the stairs on his own. Yep. Except yeah. that Kate Winslet in that scene looks the worst that she looks in the entire movie. 
and she's supposed to have looked the best. Like, I think her hair yeah. just looks really flat and like. It does look kind of flat. I think she looks all right, though. I mean, she looks okay, but like in comparison to like some of the other scenes where I think she looks much better. The, yeah, so overall, like, this is a kind of a feel good sort of movie. It's not really holiday related. I mean, they don't even. Like it, they're on a holiday, meaning they're on a vacation, um, right. and it takes place over Christmas and ends at New Year's. But like, they don't celebrate Christmas. They no. have like you know the Hanukkah party with the other guys in the the neighborhood that are friends. There's with Christmas Arthur. decorations at the house um, and Christmas lights and stuff on Jude Law's house. Yeah, Justin right. Jude Law's house though, not yeah. in Cameron Diaz is not in Kate Winslet's. <clears throat> right, yeah. but yeah, yeah. O- overall, I. Uh, I really, again, I, I really liked the Kate Winslet story. The Cameron Diaz right. one, not so much for many reasons. But. I really, I felt, yeah, I felt like maybe, I mean, to make the story work, it had to be like it was, I think, where they were trading houses and having their parallel stories and stuff. But I would have much rather somehow gotten a solo Kate Winslet movie yes. with Jack Black and, yeah. you know, maybe only be an hour and a half instead of two hours and 15 minutes long. That would it be nice. Long. Oh. Yeah. It was way longer than I remember than I realized, but yeah, I do we watched it on a weeknight and like it was past our bedtime when it finished. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, how long is this movie? Yeah. And the only, the only thing we didn't talk about that I just, it stood out as a, like a moment that I really liked was when Arthur and uh, Iris are sitting down and they're eating or whatever. And, She's all hung up on Jasper and he basically tells her that she's behaving mm-hmm. like the best friend type and she's actually a leading lady type. And that's just good pet talking, honestly. That's just really. Well, and she tells him that I've been going to a therapist for three years and she's never put anything as clearly <laughs> as that. And then the reason that Arthur's making her watch all these old movies and specific ones he's having her watch have strong female leads characters who have gumption and so when jasper we didn't talk about this when jasper comes back to try to woo her back even though he's still engaged and she finally grows a spine iris does and tells him off and she says at the end well yeah that's because i have gumption right it's a good moment yeah it's a solid reaction to his uh his very like wishy-washy non-answer uh, I thought it was great. She's like, yeah. wait a minute, wait a minute, what? You're still you're still engaged? And he goes, I'm just so confused. And Michelle mentioned he sounds like a you know 14 year old boy. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that that's I mean, just you know, I loved the performances in this movie with, you know, I mean Cameron Diaz obviously wasn't amazing. And the stories they they have their merits and things like that, but one thing yeah. I was going to ask is, do you think you, Dan and Brandon, since you're not as fond of the Cameron Diaz story, would it have been better if somebody else was doing the Cameron Diaz part? I think part? so. I think so because I would have felt, I think I think a better actress could have convinced, ma- you. convinced me mm-hmm. or made me more empathetic. I just, I don't know. There's something that, that doesn't convey with her. I mean, she's, it's like she's, just not that likable of an actress, honestly. Like she's, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like I'm rooting for Kate Winslet the whole time. I'm not necessarily rooting for Cameron Diaz. Right. I'm yeah, rooting for think, Jude Law at one point more than Cameron Diaz. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Definitely. You want Jude Law to find happiness. You right. don't really care if Cameron <laughs> right. is that happy. Yeah. Right. Okay, so we've got a little bit of trivia. Dustin Hoffman appears in the video rental store in an uncredited cameo as Jack Black talks about the score from The Graduate from 1967 in which Dustin Hoffman starred. According to Hoffman, this was unscripted and unexpected. He was going to Blockbuster for a movie, saw all the light, and came over to see what was going on. He knew director Nancy Myers, who scripted a short scene with him in it. And I... I find that fucking fascinating that like we almost didn't get that cameo in the <laughs> yeah. movie. Lindsay Lohan, who had made her motion picture debut in Myers's remake of The Parent Trap from 1998, and James Franco, a friend of Myers, make uncredited appearances in the trailer of the fictional movie Deception, which Amanda and her team finished the trailer for at the beginning of the movie. Also, gonna mention if this is like supposed to be three weeks before Christmas. They would not be just finishing a trailer no. or release that that quickly. Right, right. It should be. I mean, that months. would literally be like starting to premiere in like late summer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the very least. Anywho. At least the teasers. Yeah. So a few months after the movie came out, the popularity of house swapping was on the rise, so much so, in fact, that the police in England had to issue a warning against swapping homes with strangers due to identity fraud and murders. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? But also now, like, that's how we travel yeah. most of the time is like, like Airbnb. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, let me ask you that, guys that question before the last trivia thing. So they both decide that like they're going to go and they're going to swap houses the very next day. How much do you think those international flights were going to run them? I think the same thing every time that in that moment, I'm like, if they, I guess at that time, call on the telephone, their travel no, they still, agent or somebody. It was or 2003. You, you still could have okay. internet. Yeah. You, could so have you, you go online and you're like, I need like Cameron Diaz gets a first class ticket to yeah. London for the next day. That's got to be a $10,000 ticket right. or something. Right. <laughs> that is, yeah, well, that's completely insane. Which with, she can probably afford, but Kate Winslet's but character. Kate, what I, I think they did do with Kate Winslet is they put her in a middle seat mm -hmm. between two old ladies. Like they kind of showed that like she got the last seat on the plane yeah. and like that sort of thing. So it, honestly, it may have been, if it wasn't a full flight, it may not have been super expensive. And I also don't think at that time you had, because you didn't have all the internet back and forth, whatever, like prices probably didn't change as much as they do now, yeah. 20 years uh, later. Yeah, but it still would have been freaking expensive. But I think too, like the whole point is like Kate Winslet hasn't been on a vacation in four she's years. Gotta like she's got to get yeah. away. Well, she's fair, she does pay. live in a $2 million house. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Writing, I mean, writing blurbs about weddings. <laughs> Okay, so when Miles, played by Jack Black, is humming movie scores to Iris, played by Kate Winslet, in Blockbuster Video, he does Hans Zimmer's score from Driving Miss Daisy from 1989. Hans Zimmer did the score for this movie, which is, I just think it's kind of a neat little nod to him, you know? I just, I kind of like that. Mm -hmm. So info and ratings for this one, runtime, 136 minutes, budget, 85 million. Opening weekend, $12.8 Worldwide gross, $205.9 IMDb rating, 6.9. 
Rotten Tomato Critics score, 50%. Rotten Tomato Audience score, 80%. Personal rating, what do you guys think, Michelle? So, hang on, before, before okay. you go to our ratings. So yeah. you're telling me the critic score for this was lower than Love Actually? Oh, yeah, tomatoes? a significant amount. Really? You know? That shocks me. I agree. Yeah, I, I'm blown okay, away anyway, myself. Anyway, back to Michelle's. Yeah. Um, I, this one is probably 4.5, and the only reason that it's 4.5 for me is because of Cameron Diaz. She brings it down. She brings it down a little point. bit. I'll give you two ratings. I think <laughs> the Kate Winslet story is a five. I think the... Cameron Diaz story is a two, but rather than splitting the difference, I on the strength of the Kate Winslet story alone, I'll I'll round it up to a four. Okay, that's that seems fair. This is one um, that Dan will actually watch I, I every like year. It. I like yeah. I, lo- I love her and Jack Black's chemistry. I I did that thing where I caught myself grinning like an idiot multiple times at the romantic <laughs> scenes of this movie. Um, so my rating is four point five out of five stars, mostly because I actually didn't hate the Cameron Diaz storyline and performance as much as you guys. Like it's, it's deeply flawed, but I, I didn't hate it quite on that level. I don't, I don't hate the storyline. I just think her acting is terrible, which brings it, the movie down a little bit. Yeah. I don't hate the storyline. I just, I I don't think she sells it. And just her, her acting in general, I just, her performance, I think brings it down. And I'm not really going to, be racking my brain to figure out who could have done it better. Yeah. My Jennifer Aniston. I want to say like Naomi Watts. I don't mm. know. I don't know about her. Never mind. Um, <laughs> retract. retract. <laughs> yes, I didn't say that. Um, okay. So anyway, that's the uh, two movies that we have for today. I really appreciate you coming on, Michelle and Dan. I had a good time. Thanks for having us. Yeah, you're welcome. Absolutely. Thanks. Yeah. So obviously, you know, like I always say, if you've got any suggestions, any requests, anything like that, you know, just send them my way. Let me know what you what you want to see. And maybe I'll entertain the idea of actually doing them. So. All right, everybody. I guess that's it for today. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Bye now. Bye. Brandon at Random Reviews is performed, written, directed, produced, and edited by Brandon Griffiths. Theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz from Fiverr.